Welcome to Radio. I'm Sheikh Huna. Today's piece comes from Lucas Hollitz. In this story, a young Nathan Lloyd struggles with both his haunting dreams and the weight of being a new detective. Between nightmarish hallucinations and a difficult missing persons case, Nathan fights to maintain a clear head and a sharp eye. Please enjoy The Nightmare's Reflection. In a dark, cold hallway, a formally dressed man stood before a pulsating door. Below him lay a red carpet, either side of him flanked by torchlight. As he approached the beating door, the crack that ran from top to bottom opened up to reveal a bloodshot eye. Is this... is this the end? Is this where I need to go? He reaches for the handle of the door, as he's done many times before, and as he does, he is overpowered by the sound of a high shriek. The shriek is so forceful that the man kneels down and he cups his ears. However, it is no use. The sound isn't coming from the hallway, but rather from the depth of his body. He felt nauseated, and as he looked toward the giant, ominous eye before him, it began to bleed profusely. You will see. You will see the end, a booming voice says. The man collapses to the floor, shuts his eyes, and tries as best he can to shut out the assault on his senses. And join me in thanking our very special guest tonight. Nathan Lloyd awoke to a late show on TV, his body covered in a cold sweat. This was just one of the many nightmares he'd been experiencing for months, keeping him in a state of restlessness that he wished would go away. His head began to pulse with a familiar and severe migraine as he rolled over to check his clock. 3.22 a.m. Too early. Way too damn early. He stumbled from his bed and went to the restroom, wiping the sweat of his brow and parting his black hair behind his ears. After downing a few tablets of headache medicine, he checked his face in the mirror before going back to the warmth of his bed. Why the hell is this happening to me? Night terrors and constant headaches? When is it going to end? My life has no room for this. Capitulating to circumstance for now, he focused on the oscillating fan above him. Eventually, he closed his eyes, and sleep claimed him once more. The next morning was met with a hurry. He realized he was at risk of being late on his first day after his promotion to lead investigator for the Cohen Detective Agency. Mr. Cohen's gonna chew me out. I just know it. He donned his navy suit and pants and all but jetted out of his condo to the car. The ride down the Phoenix Highway greeted him with a warmth that he had always recognized from the city, particularly at this point in August. It was the part of summer where the weather became extremely moody, alternating between comfortable weather and scorching heat. When he arrived at the complex, he parked in his assigned space just before the front doors of the agency. He checked his clock. 9.05 a.m. Five minutes late. Damn it. Entering the tall building, he was overcome by the sounds of people taking calls and the clattering of keyboards as the first floor worked through paperwork. Nathan approached a rather homely-looking blonde woman, whom he could swear flashed him a look of contempt. Just getting in, Mr. Lloyd. Yeah, by the skin of my teeth. You got that right, she muttered under her breath. 
She scanned his ID and waved him off to the elevator, where he met just the person he didn't want to see that morning. Mr. Greg Cohen himself, the chief. Late again, I see, he said as the elevator rose. Yeah, been having trouble sleeping, Nathan said frankly. Mm-hmm, Cohen spat, not believing it. I'll have you know that we value punctuality very much here. Nathan bit his lip. I'm well aware of that, Mr. Cohen, sir. Cohen's poisonous remarks continued. It was the slowest elevator ride in existence. Do you know how many people could have used your job? He said, stopping to get off on his floor. The only reason you've been appointed chief detective is because of your track record and your father's recommendations. Do your job, or we'll be happy to find someone else. Screw off, he thought as his boss left him. Soon after, he approached the fifth floor. His floor. He had his own office, which even had his name engraved in the glass window of his door. He was determined to show the agency what he could do in the investigations to come. Since he was little, he had always wanted to be a sleuth, catching the most evasive and pervasive criminals in the world. Thanks to an accelerated program through his college and the police academy, he got his position at the age of 25. I'm too green, regardless of my skills, he thought. I'm going to have to work twice as hard if I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm as good as my resume says that I am. I'm not just my father's clone. He reclined in his black leather chair and grabbed a new file that lay on his desk. Missing persons. He opened it up and read the abstract of his first case. Regina Willow, a girl from a local high school, North Cactus High, had apparently gone missing three days ago. The police didn't know where she was, and neither the girl's family nor friends, apparently, knew where she might have gone. After the sheer number of gruesome cases he'd witnessed, Nathan had hoped that this would end up being a missing persons case overall, and not a homicide. It really wasn't the norm for a missing persons case to end up so bleak, but Nathan always erred on the side of the worst-case scenario. Jesus, I just don't want to see the body of a teenage girl in my first case. He read the case file and saw the contacts that Regina had, including the friends she had at the high school, and her family's information. The police had already questioned immediate connections, but Nathan could tell already that the interviews were not conducted with tenacity. Seems like I'm going to have to visit the family. He approached a vending machine in his room and procured a soda from it, mulling over the idiosyncrasies of the case and what actions he'd prioritize. The usual reason for a girl going missing is that she ran away of her own accord, he thought. The alternative is that someone kidnapped her while she was at school, so we need a how, a why, and alibis. I need to talk with her folks again. From the case file, he got the number of her parents and gave them a call. The voice on the phone was feminine, so we figured it was the girl's mother. Hello, a voice answered. He could tell already that she was very stressed. Hi, is this Mrs. Willow? I'm Detective Nathan Lloyd of the Cohen Detective Agency. We'd like to handle the case on your daughter. Oh, thank God, she said. The police won't do anything. Please, you have to help us. We're all worried sick about her. I understand that, Mrs. Lloyd. Look, is your husband home? Could I come by today and ask you a few questions? Yes, of course, she said. Regina's father doesn't get home for about an hour, but you can come around that time. 
Thank you so much, Detective. It's no problem, Mrs. Willow. We'll take care of this together. Just stay calm and I'll be there soon. Dialing down on the specifics of deception and body language was not Nathan's problem anymore. No, his problem was in conveying the right empathy to his client. He would much rather deal with the minutia of micro-expressions and body language than the grief one must carry if a terrible event occurs. Nevertheless, he was determined to help solve this case, especially after hearing the distressed voice of Regina's mother on the phone. When Nathan got to Regina's home and was welcomed into the living room, he noticed that the interior was decorated with the sort of things you would expect of a family keeping up appearances. Impeccable furniture, trophies of Regina playing sports, family photos scattered about, and bookshelves filled to the brim. The detective noticed the concerned looks on the parents' faces change as he seated himself on the couch. He read their familiar stares easily. They thought he wasn't qualified. I'm sorry, detective, we were just expecting someone a little... older? More experienced, I mean, Mr. Willow said gruffly. I understand that, Mr. Willow, Nathan said, concealing his annoyance. But I assure you that I am in this position from no small effort. And if it helps, it's not just me. We have assistants and investigators supplementing this case, archiving information, and giving up-to-date intel on the situation. We have your backs. Thank you, detective, Mrs. Willow said, not entirely convinced. Would you like some tea? He shook his head. First off, can you describe your daughter to me? Straight-A student, always in bed on time, and she works hard for her soccer team. She's always been a happy and hard-working girl, Mrs. Willow said. More than the words, Nathan Lloyd was paying careful attention to the body language of the two before him. In specific, their involuntary cues that would give away intentions and thoughts. The neocortex can lie, but the limbic system is honest, he thought. He subtly, yet carefully studied them, staring from their feet and ending with their heads. As Mrs. Willow spoke, he could see Mr. Willow's legs quavering, and his feet pointed towards the kitchen. Mr. Willow, would you agree to that sentiment? That Regina was happy? Yes, he said immediately. She kept her head up high. This is a lie, Nathan thought. Everything about Mr. Willow says that he wants to leave the room. I need to pressure him to tell me about Regina's extracurricular activities. Look, Nathan said, if I'm going to help you two, I'm going to need you both to be completely honest with me. Mr. Willow, you seem uncomfortable, specifically when asked about Regina's mental state. Has she changed her attitude recently? He locked eyes with the man. Mrs. Willow looked to her husband in concern almost as though she didn't want him to contradict her. She, lately, she's been keeping more to herself, Mr. Willow admitted. Walter! Mrs. Willow exclaimed. We gotta tell him, honey, he said disdainfully. Recently, she's been getting involved with some bad kids. I found ecstasy hidden under her bed just a week ago. I didn't know about this, she said, tearing up. Every family has its secrets, the detective thought. Do you think that one of the bad kids had to do with Regina's disappearance? Nathan asked, narrowing down his suspects and cause. God, I hope not. Janice, I was going to tell you, but didn't have the chance before she disappeared. Walter, oh God, I, I didn't know. Mrs. Willow buried her face in her hands. I'm not here to get anybody in trouble. I'm just here to find Regina and bring her back to you, Nathan said. Do you personally know any of this bad crowd that she'd been spending time with? 
The two parents shook their heads. They genuinely don't have a clue, he thought. I'll have to talk to others that Regina might have opened up to more than her parents. I can see that her parents have put her on a pedestal that she herself may have thought she was unworthy of. Who was Regina's best friend at school? Nathan inquired. Taylor, Mrs. Willow said, looking at the detective. Taylor Cordero. They were on the same soccer team, would do their homework together, and would spend time together on the weekends. Is she still at the school? Yes, she hasn't spoken to us since... since Regina disappeared. It's okay. I'll need to talk to Taylor, Nathan said. Do you have any pictures of Regina and Taylor together so I'll know when I see her? Oh, yes, Mrs. Willow said, getting up to procure a picture from an end table. This is a picture of the two of them at a recent soccer meetup. I hope it's good enough. This will be helpful. Thank you, Nathan said, getting up to take his leave. Please, detective, if you find anything, give us a call, Mr. Willow said. You have my word. If there's any news of your daughter, you will be the first to know. Good day, Mr. and Mrs. Willow. With a half-bow, the man took his leave, getting into his company-issued car to go to the school. He had intended to catch Regina's friend as she was coming out of class after school. He knew that he had to press her hard for information, as she was the only truly valuable lead so far in the case. As he drove down the highway, the headache from that morning suddenly came back with full force, causing him to wince and clench his teeth. Oh shit, come on, not again, and not now. In far ahead of him on the road, what can only be described as an alien creature entered his field of view. The monstrosity was a jumbled mess of black sludge, heaping up to about the size of an average adult human. It had no appendages, save for one tentacle jutting out from its back that ended in a metallic blade. The bizarre form's countenance was a featureless mask. How it supported the pristine, ivory shape on its goopy body, he had no idea. It's not real. It's not real, Nathan said, not lowering his speed in the vehicle for even a second. Hallucinations had plagued him before, but now they seemed to creep up on him at the most inopportune times. Hyperventilating, he drove on, and as he collided with the aberration before him, it exploded into a cloud of smoke that overtook his vision for only a fraction of a second. I need to call Kurt. I'm gonna lose it, he said aloud, anger welling up in his voice. By the time Detective Lloyd had reached the school, he had composed himself enough to continue working. He looked at his surroundings to center himself. Everything was peaceful and as it should be. He heard the faint chirping of birds, the chatter of teenagers as they left the school, and hum of leaf blowers from some unknowable distance. He breathed a sigh of relief. Ah, sweet mundaneness. As the detective saw the students rush out of the school like a hive of bees, he paid very close attention to who left. Most students paired off or left in groups, but one girl in specific was a lonely island. She had long brown hair, fair skin, and dark eyes. She held textbooks close to her chest and looked concerned and sullen. Taylor, Nate thought. He waited until some students cleared out and approached her on a nearby sidewalk. Taylor Cordero? Yes. My name is Detective Nathan Lloyd of the Cohen Detective Agency. I was wondering if I could have a few words with you. She stammered in her response, and her voice seemed void of any semblance of joy. I, I have to be home soon. My mom will be worried. Taylor? Nate said, flashing his badge. This is about your friend Regina. 
I need your help finding her. Please, it won't take long. She capitulated, and they moved to a secluded bench free from wandering eyes or ears. The tree branches above added some cover as well. Now, Taylor. Regina went missing about three days ago. Before the incident, how was her mood? Once again, Nathan studied the interviewee like a suspect. Well, she was normal, I guess. She shuffled her feet. You guess? From what I've gathered, she wasn't too fond of the pressure her parents were putting on her, right? I don't want her to get in trouble. Listen, he said. No one is getting in trouble, but to find her, I'm going to need all the facts. <sighs> okay, well, lately she's been acting all distant and stuff. You know, usually we talk about her soccer club or band or something, but she didn't want to. She just seemed sad. She's even been talking to the school staff and the janitor more than me. I don't know what to do. Were you aware that Regina has been taking ecstasy? The look of shock on Taylor's face, along with her attentive posture, told Nathan that she was genuinely surprised. But he saw something else in her eyes. Something beyond the surprise. No, I, I had no idea. I knew she was sad, but I, I didn't know she'd stoop to that, Taylor said in anger. Nathan tried as gently as he could to nudge the information he needed out of the girl. Taylor, do you know who may have given her the drugs? She looked down and began running her hands through her legs in worry. I think so, she said. There's been this man hanging around the school. At first I thought he was a transfer student because I've never seen him before, and he looked our age. But now that Regina is gone, so is he. Bingo. And what did this man look like? Try and remember, Taylor. Uh, he, he was pretty tall. Short brown hair, dark eyes. That's all I can remember. She was telling the truth. And you saw him talking with her? She nodded. I saw them talking a couple times. Do you, do you think he took her? Did he take Regina? She started sobbing. Nate put a hand on her shoulder. I don't know, but you've been a good friend to her, Taylor. And a great help. If he's involved, we'll find out, okay? When was the last time you saw him with her? She nodded. Uh, a few days ago, I think. The detective pulled a business card out from his navy coat and handed it to her. Thank you, Taylor. If you find out anything more, or if you just need to talk, don't hesitate to call me, alright? Thank you, Mr. Lloyd. Now I've got a lead, he thought. Someone new waltzes into a new school and starts fraternizing with some girls? That sounded very suspect. His next plan of action was to go into the school records and find anyone on file who fit that description, or to see if maybe the man in question was caught on one of the school cameras. He went into the front office of North Cactus High, with long hallways flanking a center counter. A woman in her mid-fifties was hard at work on a computer. Do you need help? she asked. Nathan flashed his badge. Detective Lloyd, I need access to the students who were at school last week. This has to do with the disappearance of Regina Willow. I'm sorry, but we can't give that information out, Detective. Or we might have a repeat on our hands. Nathan remained firm and produced an official document that served as permission to search records in regards to Regina's case. I'm happy to have the FBI call and verify it. The aged woman typed in a few words into her computer and brought up the relevant file, turning the monitor to the investigator and handing them the mouse. Let's see... He muttered to himself as he scrolled down the roster. Yeah, 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 Taylor. 
All right. Nothing out of the ordinary. Can I see the security tapes from three days ago, please? The secretary begrudgingly complied, pulling the video up on her screen. They both watched in silence as the tape played at two times the speed. Wait, stop, Nathan said. Hmm? This gentleman here. What was his name? Oh, Taysiao, she said, pulling up the matching guest list for the date and time. He was friends with Regina's family. He was here on a few occasions to bring her lunch. And when was the last time Mr. Xiao checked in here as a guest? Looks like this was the last time he was seen on campus, she replied. That's the one. I'm sure of it. I need to find this man and bring him in for questioning. Do you have his address on file? I'm sorry, he didn't give one. All right. Thank you for your help, ma'am. Have a nice day, he said. She made no attempts to feign respect as he left. Doesn't matter that we don't have his address, he thought. Nothing a little FBI search can't solve. Then we can bring him in for questioning. If he was the one giving Regina drugs, then I can almost guarantee that he's involved in her disappearance. Sure enough, when the detective got back to the station, running the search proved to be as simple as a phone call. Even if the name Taysiao was a pseudonym, he would still be able to get a bit of a lead from the codename. Nathan had the secretary email over the video feed from the past week to the agency as well. Jeffrey, I need you to run a search on a name for me. Which name? The poorly middle-aged man asked. Nathan gave the handler all the information and headed back up to his office. When he leaned back in his chair, Nathan felt an unusual high. Finally, he thought, I'm an actual detective. When he was a child, he yearned for the unknown, to solve mysteries that others had not dared to attempt. He thought his family wanted him to follow in their footsteps for becoming an officer, but being a cop or working for the FBI never appealed to him. It was too restricting and didn't allow for much creativity. In this line of work, Nathan thought he could truly help people without some superpower constantly looming over his head. He'd have to work harder on his social skills, though. Quelling his ego for the time being, he picked up his phone to make a personal call to his best friend, Kurt. He had some time to kill whilst waiting on Jeffrey's info on Mr. Seau. Hello? A familiar voice answered. Kurt? This is Nathan. I've got some time, so I wanted to give you a call. Oh, sup, dude? I was just making some pasta, so I'm glad you called. How are you liking your new job? Finally doing some actual work and not just mundane training or weapons safety drills? Yeah, he said. Finally. I can't disclose the specifics, as you know, but it's a missing persons case, and I think I'm already getting warm on the trail of where it'll lead. Well, that's cool, Kurt said musically. Have your headaches or nightmares gotten any better? Should I tell him the truth? Nathan thought. He had known Kurt for over a decade. He was the one who would always protect Nathan from verbal and physical harassment from the other kids at school. Not that Kurt was a jock. On the contrary, he was very much what many would consider a geek. It's just that he was over six feet tall and built like a tank. The two meshed well together, with Kurt mellowing down Nathan's compulsive tendencies and helping him empathize with those around him. Try as he might, the detective was prone to being insensitive to others' emotions at times and often didn't share his own feelings. Kurt was like his battery, and was the extrovert that nearly everyone could get along with. If I can't trust him, who can I trust? No, he said honestly. If anything, they've gotten worse. I had this terrible dream this morning that left me really shaken. Have you tried seeing your doc about it yet? 
No, but after what happened on the road today, I'm scheduling an MRI, I can tell you that much. What do you mean? Kurt sounded concerned in the line. I... I don't want to talk about it. Listen, you want to grab some beers this week? It's been a while since we've hung out. That sounds like a blast. Nathan imagined Kurt grinning like an idiot on the other side of the telephone line. And the alcohol will make it easy for me to harass you more about your condition. Great, Nathan said playfully. In just moments, he heard a beep on his line. Oh, Kurt, looks like the second floor is contacting me, so I gotta get back to work. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Alright, man. Peace. When the detective clicked the button to switch channels, Jeffrey's voice appeared on the other line. Well, that was easy, he said. If Tasia was a kidnapper, he was a really lousy one. The FBI were able to get all the information from their database. Looks like he's never been an actual student at that school, and he lives in a rundown district a little north of here. Did Irene get the video feed from the school? He inquired. Yeah, and that's her guy. He's got a spotless record. No felonies and not even a parking ticket. Well, he had a spotless record, Nathan said. Can we bring him in today? I'll make the call. Whilst the detective waited, he wanted to call Regina's parents and ask them about Mr. Seau. Maybe it was true. Maybe he was a friend of the household who was visiting Regina. When Mr. Willow answered the phone, however, the concern in his voice showed anything but familiarity. Detective, I've never heard of that man in my life, Mr. Willow said. Does Mrs. Willow have anything on him? No, we don't know of any Tay Seau. Did he do something to our Regina? We don't know anything yet, sir, but we're bringing him in for questioning as we speak. I don't know if he's involved, but the moment I catch word of your daughter, I'll give you a call. Okay? All right. Thanks, Detective Lloyd. He could feel the concern coming from Mr. Willow, but he knew that there was nothing he could do to diminish it. For now, he would take the leads he had and follow them, wherever they may point. Full of energy and eager to crack the case, he rose to his feet from the leather chair, but was immediately struck by an intense pain in his head. Uh, he clenched his teeth as he held his forehead. Again, the pain jolted him, almost knocking him to his knees. Uh, he groaned. He felt vertigo hit him and fought the urge to vomit. Come on, come on, get it together, you idiot. He chastised himself. Just as the pain delivered another blow to his prefrontal cortex, the walls of his office began to change. The bookshelves disappeared replaced by manacles on chains that dangled from the walls. The walls became a sickening purple palette and pulsed like a human heart to the beat of his headache. Hearing a rumbling noise accompany his vertigo, the manacles began to shake as one lunged forward and clasped around his arm. No, no, this isn't happening! He yelled, being dragged to the flesh-like wall. He yanked hard against the chains, eager not to let them take him. Real or not, this was his reality, and it felt like it was about to take his life. I won't let you control me, you hear? Fuck you! Nathan shouted, having a tug-of-war match with his hallucination. Just when he felt as though fatigue was about to rein him in, the imagery ceased. His office appeared before him again. He hadn't even moved. Jesus. Jesus. Panting and sweating, he looked to his right wrist to see evidence of the manacle that had just threatened him. There was a reddened patch of skin, as though caused by a rug burn. Likely of my own self-inflicted mark, he thought. Resisting a handcuff that isn't even fucking there. He rushed to his water dispenser in his office 
and downed a few small glasses of the liquid, balancing himself with reality once more. Then he took another glass of water, strode back to his desk, and produced a cloth from one of the compartments. He dampened it and laid it across his brow, leaning back in his chair. Slow, steady breaths. After a long pause, his phone beeped again, waking Nathan from a nap. No surprise that I dozed off. He clicked it and Janine from the first floor answered. He'll be in interview room six on the second floor. Thanks, Jean. I'll be right down. Now the pendulum is swinging in my favor. Thanks for listening to this episode of Radio. Once again, this piece is written by Lucas Hollitz. Radio was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Shay Kuna, and I can be found on Twitter at Shay Kuna. The intro and outro are The Storyteller, written by Lou Claver. Find more of her work at louclaver.bandcamp.com. That's L-O-U-K-L-A-V-E-R. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a review or telling a friend. If you want your short story read on the show, you can email me at shaykuna at gmail.com. The logo was designed by Emily Cocotte. Thanks again.